invite you, go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. So uh, if you don't know, if this is your first week, my name is John Miller. Uh, um, uh, I'm just kidding. Normally, I, uh, I'm actually back here uh, playing worship in, in, in one of these positions. My name's Zach. I'm, I'm actually the worship pastor here. Pastor John is out of town. And so uh, just a couple weeks ago, he actually asked me to come and, and share with you guys this weekend. So one, I'm, I'm really, really honored that I even have the opportunity to be here and share anything with you guys. But uh, I guess Pastor John called me probably a week ago or so, and he just asked me what I was going to share about. And I was like, man, I, honestly, I'm not exactly sure at this moment. He was like, well, I just want you to hit a home run. And, uh, and I was like, man, what about like a double with like an RBI or something like that? I was like, would that do? And he said it would. So, uh, so anyway, um, and, and one thing before we even jump into the message, I, I want to encourage every single person here uh, man, to lift up your pastors every single day to cover them in prayer. And you know, as we do more and more around the world, and as even this congregation grows, um, the one thing the enemy wants to do is strike the shepherd. And, and I want to encourage you, man, lift up Pastor John and, and Linnell every single day. Lift up all the pastors. We're still believing for Pastor Travis and, and Whitney and kidneys for him in Jesus' name. And, um, and, and like I said, I want to encourage you to do that every single day. Uh, and so really fast, before we continue, y'all just make some noise really fast for all of our pastors. And, and, and we're, we're so honored that, um, one, that, that, that I get to serve here, but also alongside some, some men and women of God that are just really incredible. And um, so like I said, I, I'm excited. Uh, you're here. I'm excited to be here. And so the last couple services, I felt like, man, I've had a lot of response at the end of each service with people saying, man, it's been so long since I've thought this way. It's been so long since, uh, man, I've been encouraged to step out and get a little bit uncomfortable for Christ. And, and this morning, I want to challenge every single person here that you're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. The person that's sitting in your seat this morning, you have a purpose on your life today to do something for the kingdom of God. And, and oftentimes what we do is we, we come to church and we, we can experience church, but we can uh, not participate in church. And, and I say uh, a, lot of, a lot of the time, and I, I, see, I see this and I feel this even all across our country, is that we have a lot of people that come and churches become a gathering place where lots of people come and they spectate ministry, but they don't participate in ministry. Or they, they come and they watch other people use the gifts that God has placed in their life. And I want to tell you that God's placed something in your life. God's placed something in your life for such a time as this. And every time we come and we, we come in one accord and we worship with the worship team or we're challenged by Pastor John, I want to challenge you that every time you come to church, leave with something practical for your life. Leave with something that you can walk out each week, that you can walk out each day, because God has called us and he's equipped us for such a time as this to make a difference. How many people believe that this morning? Y'all make a little noise for the Lord. Amen. And, and, and just kind of continuing on that a little bit, I, you know, I was just thinking about it this week, preparing this week, and, and what, what tends to happen when we have people who come to church and, and they, they spectate but not participate, what we begin to do is we make this mutant body of Christ. Because God has called the body of Christ, you know, to have two legs and ten fingers and ten toes and, and two eyes. And we've created this thing where a lot of people come, but they don't use what God's given them to use. And so we have a body that, man, that has one leg and it has two or three fingers and, and an eye and, and half an ear. And God's saying that he's looking for a unified bride when he comes back. Which means that every person that declares that they're a believer in Christ is using their gifts in the body. And so I want to encourage every single person here. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you have a purpose and you are part of the body. And you are called to do something that influences eternity forever. Amen. Amen. And so, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this. And I think a, a lot of the time, whenever we kind of step back and... and and you're trying to serve God, maybe you're trying to do some stuff, and maybe God's laid something on your heart to do and step out and get uncomfortable, one of the first things that the enemy tells you is, um, that's not God. Yeah. And the second lie is, um, that's, that's insignificant, and it's not going to make a difference. 
So a lot of the time we'll come to church and we'll be a part of a church that's doing awesome things. But at the end of the day, our part of what our church is doing sometimes is non-existent. There's, we have members that serve all the time. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to beat anybody up today. But what I do want to encourage you to do is say, am, am I doing my part for the kingdom of God? And in Charles Spurgeon, he even says, on that long day when we stand in judgment before God, he will not ask what our church did, but he will ask what you did alone. And, and for me, it's a challenge to me every single day. How will I steward today? How will I steward April 7th, 2019? How will I invest? And, and, and most of the time, we feel that what we have to offer is so minimal, is so insignificant, that it won't make a difference. And since it won't make a difference, if I don't do it, no one will notice. And I think it's uh, J.B. Myers. He says, I can do very little. It will not make much difference if I do nothing. I shall not be missed. My tiny push is not needed to turn the scale. And I want to tell you that whenever we all collectively come together and we offer our little bit, I'm telling you, God does incredible things for the kingdom. But we have to understand that when we all work together, man, God's in control. Amen. And so he loves taking things that seem insignificant for us, and he loves flipping those things around, and he loves proving himself to be a huge God, even whenever we give him very little sometimes. And, um, you know, I, I know that every single person here, God's created specific things in you, just like I said, for this season, for your family, for your workplace, for your school, whatever the case may be. And in this day, God's calling you to do something. God's calling you to do something. And so um, as we continue, uh, there's actually a, a passage that I want to read through really fast. And it's pretty cool because I was preparing earlier this week and I didn't know that this passage was actually in our Bible reading. So if you're following along in our Bible reading, this was a Friday morning's Bible reading. This is in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. And this is a really interesting story to me about Elijah. And Elijah in this season, he's, uh, he's in Israel, and at this time, uh, he's living when Israel had the most wicked king Israel's ever had, and that, that king's name is Ahab. So Ahab has kind of turned all the hearts of Israel, the majority of the hearts of Israel from God to Baal which is the God of the sky, which is like weather and all this stuff. And um, he, he's turned everybody's heart to the gods of Baal. And, and Elijah comes and gives Ahab a word. And it's, it's just a really interesting story to me. Just a little bit more background. Um, Ahab is married to the most wicked woman who's ever walked the face of the planet. Does, does anybody know her name? Jezebel. Good, yeah, good job. All right. Uh, Bible trivia. Um, so we have Ahab and we have Jezebel, and they, they've really turned the country away from God. And so this is where we jump into this story, chapter 17. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. How big of a statement is that? It says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide um, in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So think about this. Elijah's, you know, like a man of faith, but he's like, God, are you sure? Like, that's not kosher. I mean, it's just kind of weird. Uh, ravens are going to drop off food, but, but God said it. And it says, uh, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. He drank from the brook. Um, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So we went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, uh, he called and he said, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. This is her response. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So the, the famine had hit the land so heavily that this woman, they're making their last meal. They, they've given up. 
It says, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Man, it's thundering outside, yeah? Hey, thank you all for braving the storm to be here today. I appreciate that. Um, so in this, this story, like I said, just to give a little bit of background, Israel has turned away from God. They're following Baal. And in this moment... Um, Elijah brings this word to Ahab and says, look, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And I think that it's interesting that he's saying the God of Israel is greater than the God of Baal, who is the God of weather. But he's saying, my God's greater. It's not going to rain until my God says it's going to rain. And so in this moment, immediately God says, Elijah, I need you to get out of there. I need you to get to this ravine and I need you to get just kind of alone and away. And, and most scholars believe that, you know, as soon as this famine starts um, and killing livestock and, and everything starts dry, you know, drying up and, and, and crops and everything start dying, that the first person that they would go to to kill would be Elijah. Because they would tell him, prophesy that it'll rain, prophesy that it'll rain. So God separates Elijah and he brings him to this place called Kareth, ravine east of the Jordan. Okay, so he's there in this moment, and I believe that God brought him to solitude because God wanted to begin doing something in Elijah's life because God knew what was to come. And so every day these ravens begin bringing him food twice a day, and most scholars believe that this was around three years he's hanging out in this ravine by himself. So he's there. God is continuing to build his faith every time those ravens show up. And I want you to think about that. The ravens didn't show up once a month or once a year. They showed up every day. Not only every day, but for every meal. So every moment of every day, Elijah was having to have faith that God was going to supply that next meal. Even as he saw the brook slowly start to dry up, he had to believe that God was going to continue to provide for him, that there was going to be provision there, and that God was going to continue to do miracle after miracle after miracle. And if you even add up, if he's there for three years, the ravens brought him food twice a day, that's around 2,000 times God proved his promise. Over and over and over and over. I'd probably get tired of that meat and bread and ravens. I don't know about you guys. But, but something else that I think is interesting about this story, even whenever you go back and you read what Kareth, the Kareth Ravine in Hebrew means the place where God cuts away. And, and I feel that oftentimes God will bring us to a place where he cuts part of us away because he knows what's to come and he wants to prepare us for what he has next. And I want to tell you oftentimes, I would say 99.9% of the time when God's cutting things away in our life, it's not comfortable. It's not, and there's people in this room, maybe you're in a season right now where God's um, and taking this relationship away or these finances or, or the, you know, whatever's happening in your life. And I want to say that sometimes God knows all the time, God knows the end plan and he's bringing you through this because he needs to cut away right now because he knows what's to come. In this moment, Elijah doesn't know that he's about, to tra- he's about to turn Israel back to God, but God knows. God knows that Elijah is about to face 450 prophets of Baal by himself, but you know what? He's continuing to build Elijah's faith one raven drop off at a time. And I want to tell you that sometimes in our life when we're in these seasons where it's difficult and we're asking God, why is this happening? Why is this going on? Why am I having to go through this? He's saying, just trust in me because I see what's coming. You don't know yet, and I'm going to give you one step at a time, but I promise the ravens are coming. And, uh, you know, just as we, can, as we continue um, in this story, this lady As this brook dries up, God continues to do something for Elijah. He continues to provide for him, and he goes to this widow in Zarephath. And at this time, widows are notoriously poor. Okay, so this lady literally has nothing. There's nothing to eat. Elijah goes to her and says, look, do you have uh, any bread? I need some bread. I need some water. And this lady says, "I I don't have any bread. 
all I have is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And, uh, and he says, well, won't you make some bread? And it actually says cake, a cake of bread. Cake sounds way better than bread to me. But, um, it's, and, and she says, this is all I have. I don't have any bread. And, and, and it's kind of like saying, Jason, I want you uh, to bring me some lemonade. And he's saying, well, all I have is some water and some lemons. And I, you know, I have some sugar and I have a pitcher, but I don't have any lemonade. So whenever you back up and you, and you look, God in this moment has given this woman everything that she needs to produce what she's called to produce in the season in which she's called to produce it. And I want to tell you the same exact thing over your life. Whatever you're going through, whatever God's calling you to produce out of the season that you're in, even if it's in despair. Even if you, you have two pennies to your name, even if you have nothing to give, you feel like there's nothing I have, God's saying, I've given you just enough to produce what you're called to produce in the time in which you're called to produce it. Yeah, yeah that's good. That is good. <laughs> and, and, and this leads me to uh, my first point, and I want you to write this down, and Pastor Mike says all the time that note takers are history makers. So write this down, but it's, if God called you to do it, then it's significant. This lady feels as if she has nothing significant to offer. But I want to tell you, what she had to offer was enough to provide provision for a man who was about to change a nation. And in that moment, it was exactly what God needed to do what God wanted to do. And, you know, oftentimes, like I said earlier, whenever God lays something on our heart to do, the first lie that the enemy is going to throw at you, he's going to try to convince you that that's not God. The second lie of the enemy is going to be what, I'm, what God's calling you to do, that, that's so insignificant. It's not going to move the scale. It's not going to make a difference. But I want to tell you that God loves taking insignificant offerings, and he loves turning them into significant things. He loves doing that. And... And, and really all of this um, comes down to um, what are we called to produce out of what God's given us in our lives today? Because everybody in the room, is safe to say, has much more than this woman in this story, but she was obedient with what she was, what she was given, and she produced what was needed to be produced. And so I would say that she stewarded well what she had. And so there's a lot of people here, and you've always, I mean, we've, we've heard the message about stewardship and the talents and all that stuff 500 million times if you've ever been to church about stewarding what you have well. And, and I just want to read a couple of these scriptures really fast, but I, it's really encouraging, encouraging to me. And I also thought about it in a different light this week that I've never thought about. But this is in uh, Matthew chapter 25. This is in verse 14. I'm going to read a couple of these. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one of them he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one who had two talents gained two more, but the one who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And, and I started thinking about um, if, if I were in this position and I'm the guy who got one talent, it's really easy to begin comparing myself to someone else. It just is. And so if I'm standing there and my master's handing out talents and this guy gets five and I get one, I'm like, man, what? <laughs> I feel like I deserve more than that. But I, I thought about it this week and I felt like God was saying, what if the guy who got five, what if this was his fifth time to be entrusted? What if he started with one, two, and he was faithful with it? And, and, and it goes on and on because God, I feel like, most often loves to prove himself through people who feel like they're insignificant or have very little to offer. And I want to tell you that he loves proving himself through people who, who aren't gifted. Even if you think about King David, Jesse marched out every one of his sons before David. Every one of his sons, he was like, man, this is my best looking son. This is my strongest son. This is my smartest son. This is my tallest son. And he said, well, Samuel was like, do you have any more sons? He said, I've, the least of my sons is out in the field. You may go get him. And he said, that's the one. Go get him. And so David was the least of these, yet God did something through David's life because David, of all the sons, was the one that was probably least gifted but was the most anointed. 
And there's a difference between gifting and anointing. And I want to tell you, in my life, I want to be gifted. Everyone wants to be gifted. But I care about being anointed far greater than I care about being gifted. Because what I do in the least, if God's on top of it, he will blow, he will blow every expectation out of the water. Amen. So even going a little bit further in the life of David, so he's the least of the sons, and God continues to do incredible things. And a short time later, there's this man named Goliath that faces the entire Israelite army. And there's a couple things in this story that begin, man, they, they, they point out something that's really life-giving to me. And, and, and like I said, back to even this woman who felt like that she had something that was very insignificant to offer. And I feel that that's the majority of our people uh, that, that don't serve or don't do something for God or don't step out in faith. You feel like what you have is very little. Or you feel like what you have is a lot of bad decisions and mistakes. Has anybody ever felt that way before I've felt that way? And I want to tell you that God can take even the bad situations that you're in in your life. He can flip them around and he can do something for the kingdom that nobody else can do. And, and it's incredible to see. And I, I, want to, I want to read part of this story. And I'm going to give a couple of examples. And I, I promise I have, a, I have a point in this. But this is um, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 48. This is right when Goliath and David are fighting. And it says, As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell Face down on the ground, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his, uh, his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. So in a moment, David fought one battle that set an entire nation free because he was willing and obedient to fight the way God's called him to fight. And I want to tell you, if I'm David and I just have a sling and a rock, I'm just like, God, you have got to do something. You know, like, this guy's in all this armor. His sword weighs as much as I do, and I'm out here. Have you ever tried to use a sling? It's like this leather thing, and you whip it around your head. It's like... David went out there ill-prepared in the physical, but he went out there prepared in the supernatural. And I want to tell you that oftentimes in our life, what we feel is insignificant as long as it's anointed, it can bring, it can bring uh, freedom to a nation. It can be free, uh, bring freedom to your family or your neighborhood or the place that you work. And I want to tell you, I would much rather have a rock that's anointed than all, the, all the, the guns in the world, all the swords in the world, whatever it takes. Because if God is on my side and he's called me to do it, he will make a way. He will make a way. And, and I, I say all this to say that David went out ill-prepared, but the very sword that taunted the army, he used to slay the thing that was threatening him. And, and I'm going to make a point out of this, but oftentimes the very thing that the enemy throws at you to knock you off your feet is the very thing God's called you to use for his kingdom. And you might have gone through a divorce. You might have no money to your name. You might have, have gone through cancer or other sicknesses or illnesses. People in your life may have left. But I want to tell you, even in your hurt, even in your pain, even in your test, it's an opportunity to be the largest, hugest, it's not even a word, uh, testimony of your life. How many people believe that? And, and I, I want to tell you, you know, um, several years ago, we were, we were in uh, the Philippines and Thailand, and we were, we were on a mission trip. It's literally halfway around the world, and Miss Linnell was with us, and this was right on the, the tail end of her kind of coming out of cancer treatment. So she had just gone through chemo, radiation, all of this stuff, and I think that she even talked to her doctor, and the doctor was just like, we really don't think that it's a good idea that you should go all the way around the world. I mean, that's, that's a lot, and she went anyway. So, so we're halfway around the world, and she, like I said, she's just on the tail end of that. That's just like a few months or weeks before we go on this trip. And everywhere we go, we do women's conferences, and she shares about how the enemy threw cancer at her, but she stands there whole healed and cancer-free because her God is bigger than anything that the enemy can throw at her. 
And so what I, what I want to say is that when cancer comes at you with a sword, even if it's not ideal, even if it hurts you, even if it's difficult, take that very same sword when God delivers you and slay whatever's attacking you. And so uh, I just think even now the enemy's probably like, you know, as many people as Miss Linnell has talked about her, her testimony coming through cancer, I wonder if the enemy's like, man, I wish we would have never attacked her with cancer. <laughs> she has been a pain. And, and even, you know, Pastor Mike, it's part of his testimony too. His oldest daughter, Amanda, when she's in the, in the NICU as a baby and they're not sure if she's going to pull through and he feels like they should go and pray for all the sick babies in the NICU because, because the enemy is attacking his daughter. It's like, I'm going to go and pray for all these other sick babies. And it's like, I bet the enemy let Amanda get better because he's like, man, we've got to get this guy out of the NICU. He needs to quit praying for people. But I want to I ask you, in your life, even the bad situations that we have, we have to steward them well to bring life to the kingdom. And I want to ask you, the things that you've been through that are difficult, have you just you know, been healed of that and, and just moved on? Or have you healed from that and helped other people heal from that? Because that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. We are called to steward what we have well and be obedient in even the little bitty things. The little things, just like David stepping out there in faith, when he's ill-prepared, he still stepped out and did what God called him to do. And, and I want to tell you that whenever we begin giving these things to God, and when we're obedient, even in the little things, God will continue to, to, to give you more and entrust more to you because he can trust you. He's looking for a good steward. And, and I remember um, several years ago, uh, I got saved at Powerhouse whenever I was 16, and, and shortly after that, I started playing drums in the worship band. And um, there for a season, it, it was really hard for us to have like an acoustic guitar player uh, on, on Wednesday nights for worship. And so uh, we had Matt Allen who was over here playing just for a little bit. Whenever he was working, I, I decided that I was going to try to step in and kind of fill in in some of those spots when he couldn't be there. And uh, I was like, man, you know, it can't be that hard. Like I can, I can figure this out. So Matt... Uh, showed me four or five chords to play on the guitar. Uh, and if you know that many, that means you can play every worship song there is. And, and so uh, I, I know these four or five chords. Uh, some of them, Matt didn't even know the names of them. He was just like, man, it, you play it like this. I don't know. It sounds good. Just play it like that. So he invested in me what he had. And so I took that, I started playing acoustic guitar, and someone else would sing whenever I would play, and uh, I did not want to sing. Like, I, you don't understand how bad I didn't want to sing. And uh, I remember, this was my senior year of high school, and we were doing a group at our school, just called an RPM group, and we were having like 100 students come out to the gym every week, and we would talk about Jesus. It was one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. And um, so we're there, and I feel really strongly that God called me to, to go there and sing a song in front of all of my classmates. And, and I'm like, God, are you sure, you know, that, that's you? Because you don't know how bad I am. And, and, and God kept confirming in me. He was like, I want you to go and I want you to sing a song. And I, and, and I was like, Lord, uh, all right, this is on you. <laughs> and, and so I show up at, at my school. We're in the group. And, um, and I pull out a guitar and I sing a song. And I'd, I'd like to tell you that it went well. It just didn't, okay? So I sang an entire song, and I sang the entire song off-key. Um, and if you're a singer, that's kind of hard to do, like it, to sing an entire song off-key. And I did it. And so I'm there. I'm up there just like beating up on my forehead, just sweating, you know, red face, because I'm like so embarrassed. Like in this moment, I feel just like I've made an, like just an, an idiot of myself. And um, I, I get done with my song, we pray, and I, I hand it over to whoever was sharing, and I went and sat down by my buddy, and he was like, bro. <laughs> he was like, that was terrible. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. But I know that, that the way that it came across, it, 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 it wasn't good. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I had such a peace because I felt that I was obedient to what God called me to do. And I was like, God, even if I make myself look like an idiot every time I ever play this guitar, God, if you call me to do it, I'll do it. And I remember just a few short weeks after that, we go on our, our, our beach trip with the youth, and we go down to Panama City, and we rent this little place, and we, um, 
we were there, and, and Pastor Travis tricked me into playing some songs while we were there. And he said, man, bring your guitar. He was like, how many songs, you know, worship songs do you know? And I was like, man, like three. And he was like, all right, well, you know, play those. And when you get done, just, just play them again, and we'll just keep playing those songs. So I brought my guitar, and we sang those three worship songs 400 times in a week's time, okay? And so I remember the last night. Um, the last night we were there, uh, Pastor Mike was there, and he came up to me, and he said, man, you, uh, you want a better voice, don't you? And I was like, dear God, yeah, like a, <laughs> it would just be way better. And, and he said, I, I just feel really strongly in this moment that I, I just need to pray for you, that I'm going to impart something into you, and God wants to do something really big in your life because you've been obedient. And I remember he reached, and he, he grabbed my throat, and uh, he prayed for me. He was a little scary. Pastor Mike's kind of scary. <laughs> Um, he prayed. He he prayed for me, and and I remember that in that moment, the the way that I sounded and the confidence that it gave me, everything that I did shifted in that moment. Even the way my voice sounded when I sang. And so in me, I was like, I can never take credit for anything that God does. Any compliment that I ever get about singing or playing, it's like, man, it, I can trace it back to when it started. You know, God did it. Jesus did it. But I remember thinking, like, Pastor Mike, why didn't you do this on the first night, man? <laughs> and so I, I say all that. Whenever we, we, we got back, I started leading worship in the youth group every Wednesday. And then we started doing the connection on Thursday nights. And then I'm the senior worship pastor at our church now. And, and what, what I don't want you to receive from that is, man, Zach's awesome. What I want you to receive from that is God is awesome and he is faithful. And he's looking for somebody who will steward the small things well. He's looking for somebody who will step out when it does not make sense. He's looking for people who are willing to stand out and do something that might embarrass you in front of your entire school. I'll do it, I'll do it in Jesus' name. Let's do it. And so I, I want to say all this because God has called us to do things that sometimes they seem insignificant. But I want to tell you that whenever we step out in insignificant ways, God is always faithful to create significant things from what we give. He's, he's concerned with our obedience. He's not, he's not concerned with the gifting. He gave you the gifting. He's not surprised. Take what he's given you and steward it the best that you can. And whenever you steward that well, God will entrust more because he wants you to invest that. And, and even, this is a side note, even back to the story of the talents, those people invested what they had. They didn't just use what they had. So I want to challenge every single person here, whatever you have, don't just use it, but invest it in other people. Invest it in the kingdom of God. That's really good. Uh, it's a side note. <laughs> this leads me to my second point, and it's God uses insignificant things to prove who he is in significant ways. Because I want to tell you, every time that I get up here and I, and I have the opportunity to lead worship, it reminds me that this isn't me up here. This is just a gift God placed in me right now because he wants to use me. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a vessel. And what's, uh, what's kind of scary at times is God will bring us through situations that, man, that are difficult. Sometimes he'll call us to do things that, man, we just, it doesn't make sense. Maybe your financial advisor tells you that is not a good idea to give that amount. But if God said do it, then you, then you should do it. If God called you to do it, then it's significant. And I want to tell every single person here today that when God, and he's got a purpose for you right now, and he's placed in your life what, what you need to produce, what God's called you to produce right now. And so, um, you know, I, I was thinking about... Um, all of this stuff, and there was a couple things even earlier this week. Whenever I was preparing for the for the message, and you know, I I, I rarely speak, um, and normally I feel really comfortable playing and singing and doing all that stuff. And, and and sometimes, especially like on the weekend, man, you can just let the enemy hit you with anxiety, and and he can just beat up on you and tell you that it's not going to be good. That man, you need to be worried, and you should have prepared more, and you should have done all this stuff. And I, I remember um, feeling that like on Monday. And I remember praying, and I, and I felt so earnestly that God was saying, uh, what day are you preaching? And, and I was like, April 6th. 
Then he said, of all the April 6th that have ever been lived or will ever be lived, I called you to be alive on this one and preach that day. So whatever the enemy throws at you, all you got to say is every year before and every year after, you were chosen for such a time as this. You were chosen and you were predestined for this season. You were predestined to be in the family that you're in. You were predestined to even have the job that you have right now that you might hate. But I want to tell you that God has called you to make a difference exactly where you are. Exactly where you are. And and this kind of leads me to my last point. And I started uh, praying several several things this week, and one of the one of the prayers that I prayed, and I've prayed this before, and do not pray this prayer unless you mean it. But I, I said, God, I never want to be in a place where I'm not willing to give you everything, because when you pray that, and if you mean it, He will He will tell you, He will do it. And so this week I was praying that, and and. And so what I was saying, it was like, God, please let me never be afraid to give you a big, significant gift. And God was saying, that's awesome that you're willing to give me the, the significant. But he said, are you also willing to give me the insignificant? And, you know, we, I know we've talked a lot about people feeling that maybe what they have is insignificant, but it's also the flip side of this is we can get so fired up. I want to do something big for God. I want to give a big gift. I want to step out in faith. And God's saying, what about the, the 10 extra minutes I called you to in the morning? It's like, man, God, if I had a million dollars and you told me to give it, I would give it. He said, what about the five extra minutes of, of, of Bible study in the morning? And man, God just started like convicting me of several things. And I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta pursue him. I have to be willing to give the significant and the insignificant. And that, that's my third point. I want you to write this down. Never be afraid to give the significant or the insignificant. Because to God, they're the same. To God, they're the same, they're equal. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of preparing this week, and God kept laying on my heart. Um, really, just a, just a testimony of the last several years of my life. And, and I felt like God really challenged my faith. And um, uh, several years ago, we were, we were starting the, uh, the Imagine More campaign. And I remember Pastor Mike was standing right here. I was sitting right over there. And he said, um, you know, we're starting this building campaign. And um, just, a, you know, a few years ago, we were building Powerhouse. And at that time, I was renting a house, and I was believing for my own house. And I felt really strongly that God told me, you know, if, if you would help uh, build my house, I'll help you build yours. And so Pastor Mike started giving, like, just sacrificially to Powerhouse. He was working all the time, doing all this stuff. And, and God, man, he just worked a miracle out in their life. You can ask them about it. They have a beautiful home and a pool and all this, you know, all this cool stuff, like a four-car garage. Only Pastor Mike needs a four-car garage. But they, they blessed him and answered all these prayers. And so I remember I was sitting right over there, and it hit me so strong because in that, that moment of my life, I wasn't married. I had just finished up a degree that I had paid for out of, out of pocket, and um, I just kept thinking, like, man, I was praying for my own home. You know, I've always wanted my own place I can fix up and do stuff to. Even back when I was a kid, and you're building tree houses out in the woods, like, you, you, you want these things that are, that are yours, and I was believing for these things, and um, I felt like God was laying on my heart. He said, uh... He said the same exact thing. If you'll help me build my house, I'll help you build yours. And I didn't know what that meant. And later that week, I, uh, I was just in my prayer time, and I was like, God, what, you know, I, I know that you laid something on my heart there. What are, you, what are you wanting me to give? I'll give whatever you want me to give. And he said, I want you to give everything. And I was like, what's that, Lord? Um, <laughs> And he said, I want you to give everything. And I was like, well, what, you know, what, what does that mean? And I'm trying to rationalize this. And he says, everything in your account. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, my checking account. You know, I don't keep a whole lot of money in my checking account. It's all in my savings account. I was like, Lord, you know, I, I will do that. And he said, all of your accounts. And, and I kept asking God. I was like, God, are you sure about that? And, uh, and then he laid on my heart a number that was greater than all the money that I had to my name. And so I had to save for six more weeks to get all of the money, everything that I owned in one pile and say, all right, this meets that number, God. And I want to tell you that I was, I was saving as hard as I could because I knew that one day I would get married and I would need an engagement ring. 
I knew that one day that, um, that I wanted to make a down payment on a house. And it's all the stuff that you know that you should prepare for. Like I was doing that. There was no selfishness in any of that. And I remember feeling like, dude, every dime that you have, I, I want you to give it. And so it didn't make any sense. If I had a financial advisor at the time, they would tell me not to do it. And for me, it was a ton of money. For some people here, it might not be a lot. For others, it might be a lot. I'm not going to tell you how much it was. <laughs> and so I took every, every dime that I had to my name, and I brought it up here to the church in cash. And I remember I handed it to Miss Pat, and I was like, Miss Pat, let's, let's pray for this. And I wanted it so bad to be one of those stories where it was like, man, before I left the church, somebody gave me a check for double what I gave. <laughs> And maybe that was supposed to happen. Some of y'all need to be obedient to the Lord. <laughs> but I, I wanted it so bad to, to be one of those stories. And I just want to tell you, it was not that story. Like, it just wasn't. And I gave that. And, and, and just a couple years later, Sarah and I started dating. And I, I bought an engagement ring. And, man, I didn't have the money to pay for it. But I was making, like, God was making ends meet. He was giving me random jobs to pay for stuff. And he made everything work out. But I want to tell you the lie of the enemy in the back of my head is that was a mistake that you gave that money. And uh, I just remember, man, we, we got married. Everything was great. We were renting uh, an apartment downtown, really, really neat place. We were, we were six months into a year-long lease. And, um, and you know, we, I, I would always pray for a home, and I was believing that God was going to do something with that gift that I gave. I didn't forget about it. And, and uh, Sarah and I would like to uh, ride through the historic district right over off state line. And... Um, we were, we were riding through there one day, and we were in her little car. It's a convertible beetle bug. And, uh, man, I look manly driving that thing, by the way. <laughs> and so we're driving through those neighborhoods, and we round this corner, and there's this big blue house with the wraparound porch. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful house with these scallop shingles and, like, all this stuff. And, and Sarah's like, oh, my gosh, that looks identical to a house that my dad, a dollhouse that my dad built for me whenever I was a little girl. She said, I love that house. Out of all these houses, that's my favorite house. I don't know if you remember saying that or not. And I remember thinking in my head, out of all these houses, that's the best-looking house in Texarkana. I love that house. And, and we, we kept driving. We were, you know, slow cruising by there. And a guy across the street from that house stops us and says, hey, are you guys looking for a dog? We're like, no, we just, we just like riding through here looking at the, you know, the old historic homes. And he said, the... Uh, the guy who owns that house, he, I think he's about to list that house. I bet if you left him a note that he would call you. And so we thought it was kind of weird. You know, we loved the house, so I left my name and number, put it in his mailbox. He calls me the next day and says, hey, um, you know, in the past year, my, my wife passed away. And um, I've lived in this house for, you know, 30-something years, and I'm wanting to sell the house. Um, if you'd like to, I would love for you guys to come over and look at it. And in our minds, we're like, man, we can't afford this house at all, but we want to look at it. So it was like, yeah, we'll come look at it. And so six months goes by, and he never contacts us. And so I just kind of, I, I, I continued to, uh, to pray for this house, and I just felt like there was something there. And I, I didn't say this in any of the other services, but I drove by that house every day for six months. And every, man, every day I would pray, and I would just say, God, if there's a way, I pray that you would make it. I continued to drive by that house every day, and that guy called me the day that our year lease ran up. And when he called, I wasn't surprised. He called me and he said, hey, I don't know if you guys have, um, if you've bought a house or not, but if you're still interested in a house, uh, I would love for you guys to come look at the house. And we were like, we can't afford it, but we will be there. We will come look at the house. And so we walk in and we fall in love with the house. It was everything that you want to pray for, but you feel selfish to pray for. Has anybody ever been there before? I mean, it had like 12 feet, 12 foot ceilings in the whole house. It had this huge porch. Sarah wanted a clawfoot tub. We walked in, there's this old clawfoot tub, and we're just like, God, like this is it. This is this is what we've been wanting, even though we were too scared to pray for it. And and God um, he was making a way, and I remember we, we walked through the house. We loved the house, and at the end of the thing, I was like, man, okay, look, you know, what, what's the number? What do, you, what do you want for the house? And he said, well, if I were to list the house, um, I would list it for this much. But um, since, uh, you know, it, it's just between us, I'll, I'll drop the price $15,000. 
And so I'm like, yeah, like we can make this work. Like we, we can we can do this. And he he gave us numbers and 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 the guy in me was like, man, we can make we can figure out a way to make this work. And uh, we started running the numbers, and it was really a little bit out of what we were wanting to do every month. And we, you know, we still want to give generously. We don't want to be tied. And this is big old house, and and we were kind of worried about it. And and a couple weeks go by, and he's he's like, man, I, I kind of need to know an answer. Are you guys in? You know, at that price? And I was like, honestly, man, we we can't do that. And I was like, we we love the house, but we but we can't do that. And he said, well, what if uh, what if I drop the price fifteen thousand more dollars? And, uh, and, and so in my mind, I'm like, man, God's making a way. God's making a way. And, and, and again, it was me, and I was, I was just thinking, like, we can make this work. Even, that, even though this is at the top of the budget and this is at the top of what we're wanting to do, we went home, and Sarah and I talked about it, and we prayed, and she was like, I, I just I don't have a peace. And I'm like, babe, you better figure out how to get some peace because we're about to buy this house. And, and I, I honestly remember in that moment, I, I was so excited about this house. I fell in love with this house, and, and I was frustrated. You can ask her about it. I, I was frustrated with her, but, but it came down to the day where it was like, okay, um, we, we need to respond to this guy. And I was like, babe, if you don't have a peace about this, that means we don't have a peace. And if we don't have a peace, it's, it's a no-go. We can't do this. And so we were both upset. We both loved the house. And I, I called the guy, and I was like, man, I, I'll be honest with you. We, we, can't, we can't do it. And uh, he said uh, um, he, he, was, he was disappointed, and, and I told him that we just didn't have a, have a piece about it. It was right at the top of our budget. And, and I was upset even telling him that. And I remember I called Sarah right after, and I was just like, hey, let's just pray for this. And if, if this is God's thing, he's going to make a way, and we just have to have faith that he's going to work it out. And uh, we prayed, and a couple hours later, he calls me, and he just says, look, um, I want you all to have the house. What's your budget? I'll just put the house in your budget. And he dropped the price 15000 more dollars. So he went dozens of thousands of dollars off the price of this house, and we even had the house appraised. And in the appraisal, it said, I know that this house is worth a lot more than what I'm selling it for, but I feel that these two are the people who need the house. And, and, and I say that to say that, man, God makes a way whenever you give something that even seems insignificant because the amount that I gave in comparison to the millions that we're talking about for Imagine More, it barely moved the scale. But the thing is, the story even gets better. The guy calls us uh, whenever, we, whenever we close on the house and he says, you know, I want you all to come over and anything in the house that you want, it's yours. So Sarah and I go over, and he was like, do y'all have a refrigerator? And I was like, man, the apartment we have has one. He's like, you can have mine. He said, uh, what about a washer and dryer? And I was like, man, we don't have one of those either. He said, you can, you've got one now. You can have mine. He said, what about water hoses in the yard? And I was like, dude, I don't even have a water hose. And he said, <laughs> he said you can have all of mine. And everything that... I felt like we were ill-equipped to even move in this gift that God had given us. God provided even all of that. And so we're moving into this house. We have everything we need to, to move right in. And it gets even better because this guy's like, hey, I'm about to move. Um, I'll eventually get all the utilities moved to my name, but I'll just pay the utilities for a while. <laughs> he paid our utilities for five months. And, and I don't say any of that to say, man, you need to give because God will bless you. I say all of that because whenever God tells you to give something, it is significant. He wants to do something in your life. And years ago, whenever he called me to give something that was so sacrificial in my life, he knew the blessing that was coming. He knew the blessing that was coming. And I want to tell you that there's people in this room right now that God has laying, even right now, God is laying things on your heart that you're supposed to do for the kingdom. And I want to tell you, please, for the love of God, do whatever God's calling you to do. Please. Not for me, not for this church, not for your small group, but for eternity. What you have can move the scale for someone's life. It can separate someone from going to hell to going to heaven. And I want to tell you, even writing a name on these crosses could make a drastic change in someone's life. And it's all waiting on somebody to open up a permanent marker. 
I want to tell you, every person in this room has something to produce, something to put together and say, God, all I have is a little bit of flour and just a little bit of oil. But God, it's what I have, and I'm going to submit that to you. Because I want to tell you, if God's called you to do it, it's significant. If God's called you to do it, there's purpose in it. And at the end of our life, we're called to do two things, get close to God and get other people there too. He's equipped every single person in this room to do something to accomplish those two things. To get close to him and get other people there too. So really quick, I want to invite the band up. And I want everybody just to zero in for just a, just a moment. And, and I want to challenge you. What I, what I don't want you to leave with is, is any burden or think that I was here bragging on myself at all. Please do not leave with that because I have nothing to offer. All I have is what God has done in my life. And I want you to have the same exact testimony. If God's called you to give a million dollars to somebody, man, do it. You cannot outgive God. If God's called you to reach out to your next door neighbor, do it. If God called you to give a dollar to the kid who lives down the street, please do it. Whatever it is, whatever it is, what I want you to leave with today is inspired that whenever I step out, even especially if it doesn't make sense, I cannot afford not to do it because the kingdom of God is at hand. Every person in this room, you have something to offer. And you know, even back to when God called me to give everything that I had, I remember, I remember praying this prayer that God, even if... I never see a dime back from this. I owe you everything because you saved my life. And I feel like there's some people here today and, and you're saying, and I don't have much to give, but I want to tell you that the very first thing and the best thing that you can ever give is your life. And in just a moment, Pastor Travis is going to be down here by the cross and he is willing to pray with anybody that says, you know what, I, I'm in a place right now that my life's not submitted to Christ. I need to make a decision to do that. Maybe I've made that decision before, but I've fallen away. And you want to recommit your life. The best thing that you can do, the first thing that you can do is give your life to Christ. For everybody else in this room, I want to challenge you with the insignificant things. If it's 10 extra minutes or if it's a million bucks, please do it. Not for me, not for this church, for the kingdom. Because when we understand that God takes what we have and he makes it into incredible things, I'm telling you, it moves the scale. I promise you it moves the scale. So really fast, I want to invite everybody to stand up. Everybody go ahead and stand up. And I know that uh, it's raining outside and thundering. But I feel like God even now is going to begin laying things on people's hearts, maybe for the first time or maybe reaffirming something that he's called you to give. And this morning, if, the, if you leave with one thing, if God's called you to do it, do it. So let's pray. So God, I thank you for every heart that's here. God, we thank you so much for your presence. God, and we thank you so much that you take what we have, even though it's just a little bit of flour, it's a little bit of oil. God, we're trying our best to produce something out of what you've given us, Lord, and it's incredible what you do with what we have. God, and I pray for every heart here, whatever it is, we're all called to give something. We're all called to move forward. We're all called to do something. And God, I just pray that you would give us the boldness and the faith to step out and say, God, I'll be your servant. I'll look like an idiot. I'll give it even though it doesn't make sense. I will give even though it costs me something. God, I will give because you gave it all for me. God, I thank you so much for your presence. God, I thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, we thank you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. I know we, uh, we went a little long. Our prayer team is, is coming down front. The worship team is going to pray, uh, play uh, and, and, and feel free to, to worship along with them. But I want to encourage you, if there's anything at all in your life that you need prayer for, please come down and pray with us. But also, whenever you leave here, the practical thing I want you to leave with, man, if God's called you to do it, we cannot afford not to do it. Amen. The kingdom of God is at hand. Love you guys and pray that you'd have a blessed week. Amen.